I just want to take a few minutes now, the time we've got left together, to invite some friends up to share. And we're going to talk a little bit about Christmas. Who knew? And we're going to talk a bit about Christmas's purpose um, and what it's really all about. Um, is it about, as our DJ said, is it about the parties? Is it about the shopping? Is it just about the company or is there something more? And how does Christmas, perhaps more importantly, how does Christmas help us answer some of not just, not just Christmas's big questions, but life's big questions in general? And I think this year, more than, more than most years, I'm, I'm, feeling the, I'm, I'm feeling how bizarre Christmas really is. The nostalgia and the, uh, the repetition of Christmas. It feels like only a few weeks ago that we were singing these songs last year or listening to these songs on the radio last year. And Christmas is this weird time of the year where we basically enter voluntarily a Groundhog Day where we try to relive the past and or just try to capture some moment in time. And we love repeating it enthusiastically, voluntarily, merrily. We spend our cash, go to the shops, listen to the songs, request the anthems, dance on the, the dance floors and things like that. And of course, we watch the TV shows uh, that we all love. So, I mean, what would, uh, what would Christmas really be without this song? Uh, let me see if this works up here. Oh, hang on, where am I going? This clicker is always terrible, so there we go. Where would Christmas be without, let's see if you can recognise this, hello, this song. Can we make that click? Can you guys just move the mouse across or something? There we go. And one more time. There we go. This one. Do you know what this one is? Yes. This is the X Factor music. Um, and which we all love. What would Christmas be without X Factor? Or more importantly, perhaps, what would X Factor be without this next one, John? Oh, there it is. Strictly Come Dancing. We had the Strictly Finals last night. Um, I don't mind going on record and saying that I'm a big Strictly fan. I mean, I love Strictly as much as the next guy. Well, probably more than the next guy, let's be honest. Um, so Strictly and X Factor make our Christmases special, but there's one more show as well that I, I love. And Christmas wouldn't be complete without a, a Christmas special rendition of this next one, John. That's right. Do we know this one? Downton Abbey. I'm very sorry. I realise I've lost half the people in the room now just by admitting that in public. But I love a bit of um, love a bit of Downton Abbey. Now it seems most societies have always celebrated some form of winter festival, whether Christmas or Carnival, uh, a time in the year where we can take a break from normal life, relieve some of the pressure and strain of normal life, and indulge in other things. So in some societies, it's been this, this thing, carnival, where people would wear masks or dress up in different guises. Social norms would be turned upside down, so peasants would wear crowns on their head and kings would act like paupers. Uh, but for us in, in the West and in England, it's not so much a time of um, wearing masks, but it is a time, it's a hiatus of comfort and of materialism that we indulge in. We look for this solace of calm and peace in the midst of a busy and frenetic life. And uh, Christmas uh, helps us in a few ways. Uh, it helps us to appreciate uh, what we've got, appreciate the people around us. And it also distracts us, distracts us from uh, what's going on in the world, the state of the world, the news at the moment that is um, quite chaotic. And a number of people are just feeling very alarmed and concerned about the future. 
Christmas distracts us from that. And we distract ourselves with, um, with little gifts like these ones up here. We give each other novelty gifts. So that's, oh, you can't see the top one, but that's a, a thumb USB stick, which is quite fun, and a self-stirring mug. If, if Christmas is about anything, it's about a self-stirring mug and a novelty thumb USB stick, isn't it? No, it's perhaps not. Or we distract ourselves by, by telling each other stories, uh, fairy tales about um, socially reclusive old men who break into our homes while we're sleeping, eat our food, and leave us socks in reply. Um, That's fun. That's what Christmas is about, isn't it? Um, But Christmas also uh, is useful because it distracts us from the darkness that we see around us. Not just the darkness of winter, uh, but the darkness of the world, as we've said, and the questions that we have about how to resolve some of this darkness. Um, some of the despair that we might feel, or some of the heartache and agony that we might live with. Um, and we, we deal with this in different ways. And it's for that, that I'm going to invite some people to come and speak. Um, but before they do, uh, there are a number of ways we do, we do this. Uh, in 2008, I bought my mum for Christmas a photo book of all the things that had gone on in our year. And uh, I, I, wrote, it was, I wrote on the book, uh, A Very Good Year. Because it was the year that I got married. Uh, it was the year that my sister got married. And there was other fun things that took place. But I forgot, in giving my mum this book, I forgot that it was also the year that um, her dad passed away. And it was the year that I lost my granddad. And I forgot that. And that's one of the ways that, it seems to me, we deal with difficulty. We forget about it. Perhaps not unintentionally, subconsciously like I did. It was a big mistake. I felt terrible for that. But intentionally at times, we do what we can to forget about our own mortality, forget about the difficulties in the world around us. If you put up this next slide, John, uh, here's a, a qu- oh, next one after this, sorry. Here's a, here's a quadrant, four approaches to Christmas, uh, four kinds of Christmas, and not just Christmas, uh, four ways of dealing with the darkness in the world. And I'm going to invite different people up to come and talk about that, whether we have darkness now or darkness in the future whether we try to just celebrate the light now and ignore the darkness and just indulge in the present, escape from reality. Uh, but why don't you welcome up for me, uh, is it Polly? Where's Polly? There we go. Let's give Polly a big hand. Scrooge. Christmas is a wintry and dark time, not just in the weather, but in the mood of it as well. So most Christmas services you go to, carol services, They're sprinkled with Bible verses about darkness. Even the nativity is pictured in a dark, cold, wintry stable. It kind of brings out the inner Scrooge of us all. And we all have a bit of Scrooge in us. The famous Ebenezer Scrooge had a ruthless approach to darkness. He looked out to a bleak world, to a bleak future, and lived accordingly. He's quoted saying... Every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. For me, my inner Scrooge comes out at Christmas in two ways. The first way I know isn't going to be very popular, but it's Christmas cards. Now, I do love to get them, so thank you for all our Christmas cards, and please keep sending them. But we are so unorganised about getting Christmas cards out, we rarely give them. And I do think, especially friends that live far away, I really should get around to sending them a Christmas card. And I was talking about this with a relative recently, and she said, 
Well, if you've never done it, don't worry. Maybe it's an old-fashioned tradition now. Maybe it's going out. But at least send a Christmas card to your closest family. So get the ones that say, Merry Christmas, Mum, Merry Christmas, Sister, Auntie. To me, this is completely backwards and absurd. Because those are the people I'm going to see on Christmas Day. So why do I send them a card with it in writing when I can say it in person? I just, I don't understand. You come down the stairs and you say, Merry Christmas, Mum. Here's a card in case you forgot what I said. It was really original. I just, I don't understand. To me, that's, that's my bar humbug of Christmas. My second one is about shoes. Christmas, being a cold, wintry season, surely is about your slippers, your woolly slippers. But some people, probably in here as well, will wear high heels on Christmas Day in their own house. Or the men might put their best shoes on in their own house. I don't understand at all. Because you're trying to cook a turkey and you're running after children and you don't want to scratch the wooden floors, but yet you put your best shoes on. That's my second bar humbug. That's my inner Scrooge of Christmas. Right, I'm over that bit now. So. However, sometimes there is a genuine reason to be a Scrooge at Christmas. Um, and there is a time to dwell in that darkness. For many people, Christmas can be a really tough time. Whether you're ill, unemployed, broke, recently divorced or depressed, that darkness can be all-consuming, especially at Christmas, but throughout the year. The word Scrooge for those circumstances perhaps even belittles those circumstances a bit. Because that loss of hope and that acceptance of darkness is a very real response to Christmas and to life for some of us. Now, one way of coping with that darkness is to make it your home. You become just as bitter as your circumstances, and you say bar humbug to Christmas and to life. You can think of that Bridget Jones scene when she's there with her glass of wine singing all by myself. Who here chooses the saddest song they own when they're feeling a bit low and you play it at home? Because sometimes when life gets hard, I get harder. And when life gets gloomy, I get gloomier. Because that darkness isn't just in the weather and in the outside. It's in our hearts too. But it just won't do. We are not made to live and stay in that darkness. Something in us knows this, and something built inside us is designed to hope. And whilst the world is full of darkness and very real dark situations, the Bible describes God as a dazzling source of light and life. What if God is calling us out of that darkness and into his light? He offers us an incredible hope. Hope of an eternity with him, where there will be no darkness. And yes, that does mean that our true selves will be revealed in that light. And you won't be able to hide. Warts and all will be revealed in that light. But it is so, so worth it. And it is the only place to be this Christmas and for the rest of the year. So, I encourage us to de-scrooge ourselves and to grab hold of that hope. I need to do that this Christmas. You need to do that this Christmas. And we all need to de-scrooge. Otherwise, we become a bit like the mum at Christmas who spends all morning cooking the dinner and never actually eats any. Sometimes you do need to take care of yourself and you need to de-scrooge so you can step out of that darkness and into the light. 
There's one idea that I do to de-scrooge. A bit like Father Christmas, I make a list. And I check it twice. And that list is of all the things that remind me of the life and light that Jesus brings. One thing that I do is I make a list. Um, no, I don't make a list of people, sorry. <laughs> what I do is I spend time with people. People who encourage me and remind me of that hope. Just recently, Martin and I were both feeling a bit stuck in that darkness, a bit gloomy. Martin went out to hang out with some friends, and when he came back, he was in a completely different mood. And I said, oh, I still feel a bit stuck in that rut. And he said, well, have you spent time with anybody, anybody who believes in Jesus lately? Any other Christians? Anybody who reminds you of that hope? And I thought, you know, I haven't. I've been, I've been looking after the baby. I've been making excuses, doing other things, and I hadn't actually been hanging out with people who bring that hope into my life. And he was absolutely right. That is something for me that is a joy booster and it reminds me of that hope that I have. The second thing on my list that I like to do as a joy booster is spend time outdoors. As a student, I used to leave the uni halls and it was a 10-minute walk to the beach and I would just go down and sit on the beach with my Bible. Even if you don't know what to read in a Bible, you can just look out onto creation, look at the vastness of the ocean and the creation shouts of God's glory. Those are two things on my list that can de-scrooge me this Christmas. So, how do you respond to the darkness in this world? How do you respond to your inner Scrooge? As with the Christmas carol, all the best stories begin with a problem. And according to the Bible, this is ours. We're in a pit, groping in the dark. But hold on to hope. There is an incredible happy ending. But of course, Scrooge isn't the only way to look and respond to the darkness. Shopper. One of the ways we try to fill this darkness is with stuff, a hole in the soul. What do I mean? An emptiness, a void in me, a yearning to be full and stay full, a peace, a silence. Did you know they did a, a survey of 50 people and they asked them, we want you to sit in, a, sit in a room, empty, just a chair in the middle, no pictures, no windows, and you just need to sit there for 15 minutes and not say one word. Or you can attach yourself to electrodes and every time you're bored, you just give yourself a little shock. That's weird, isn't it? That's what I mean by a hole in the soul. Uh, some, some statistics for you. The average household in 2015, including a mortgage, uh, is in debt by £54,000. And if we carry on the way we're going, by the year 2021, uh, it's estimated that each household will be £95,000 in debt. We are living in a consumer culture. Before I became Christian, I, w I was pretty much the normal sort of person I'd be walking around town, walking past a sports shop, and just something caught my eye. It was a poster of Usain Bolt in the window, full-size um, poster of this prime athlete winning 100 metres, getting his second gold medal of the Games, sort of smiling as he's come over the, over the line because he's miles ahead of everyone else, um, with his cool pair of Puma shoes on. And I looked at it and I just thought, that, that poster says winner doesn't it? It just says, I'm a winner, check me out. So I sort of think to myself, if I had those shoes, 
I wouldn't be just such a loser. I could be a winner. And possibly win the hundred... No, no, okay, that's a bit too much, isn't it, really? So, shoes in hand, wandering around, feeling good about myself, thinking I'm a winner, looking around a clothes shop, and just sort of see this really cool chap serving people in his Timberland boots, Levi jeans, Gucci shirt, you name it, he's got it on. A gaggle of girls salivating around him, giggling, and, and I just think to myself, hmm, he looks good, nice haircut, it's pretty, pretty cool. Maybe if I spend loads of money I don't have and get a haircut like his, I can get myself a girlfriend. Forget the blue Puma shoes, I'm going Timberland all the way. And I don't think I'm alone in, in feeling like that at that time, that, you know, the amount of people out there buying things and trying to fill that hole in the soul uh, with stuff. But now I'm a Christian, I'm sorted. It's, it's you know, it's, there's no problems, is there? Um, and, I, and I sort of look to the Bible uh, now, and, and, and what does it say? And Paul, who was a cool chap, I reckon, um, he wrote lots of letters in the Bible to different churches. And in Philippians uh, 4, he just talks about having complete joy and peace, even nothing. So when he's in prison and, and just all he owns is the clothes on his back, um, he has joy and a peace, and he's just he's, he's content. Um, and even when he's had everything, got everything, living in a, a big house with everything he wanted, still content. Um, and I sort of think that our journey as Christians, when we become Christians, it doesn't stop us being consumerist, doesn't stop us wanting stuff, and there's nothing wrong with having stuff either. Um, before we got married, and I was a Christian, I wanted a car. So I got one. I couldn't afford it, but I, but I got one. Um, and it put us into so much debt that it was just a, a weight and a burden. It was unpleasant. Um, and, it, and it took us up until about five years ago to get out of debt. And it was just such a, a wonderful feeling of um, burden lifted. Um, and it just shows that when, we're, when we become Christians and we, and we have that consumerism in us, it takes a long time. It's a journey through our lives to get rid of it. Um, a friend was telling me that he knew a family that decided to not buy any more food or any, anything like that until they'd empty their cupboards. They'd get the, the essentials like bread and milk and stuff, but they lasted nearly three months without having to shop because of all the stuff that they had in their cupboards. Um, and talking of cupboards full, some of us, some of you <clears throat> know that we own a business in town, a little cafe, um, and over the last three years, it's been, a, been an interesting journey, but especially over the last 13 or 14 months, we haven't taken a salary because uh, VAT had to be paid instead. Um, and if I look back now, uh, and I knew that we weren't going to get paid for the last 14 months, I'd have been petrified. But God's brought us through in such a way that when I say we haven't been paid for 14 months, not one penny has, has, has come out of the business and, and gone into our bank account. And yet, by God's amazing grace, uh, we're not in debt. We don't have any um, outstanding bills. And, uh, and, you know, we'd be praying and saying, Lord, you know, our bank account's going to be empty soon. What are you going to do? And the postman would bring a check with loads of money in it. Or just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about praising God and, and worshipping him, even in the difficult times. And Connie phoned me up, up at work in tears and just said, oh, we just had some money in our, um, in our letterbox. And it was, it's just incredible, absolutely incredible. And the joy we feel, it's been the hardest year of our lives, but also the most 
incredible. The figure's growing. It's brought us together as a family. It's put into perspective when you get £100 in your letterbox, how much that £100 is really worth, and you can really appreciate it. And the joy we feel is just, it's incredible. Uh, The answer to the darkness isn't stuff. It's our saviour, Jesus, the filler of the hole in the soul. Christmas points to him. He didn't give us a games console for Christmas. He gave us his son. He didn't give us a house. He gave us his son. He didn't give us a car. He gave us his son. He didn't give us a boyfriend or a girlfriend or makeup or clothes. He gave us his son. That's what I've learned. It's the son I need most of all. So I hope this Christmas you can see that as well. Shopping isn't the only way we deal with this darkness. Santa. The Scrooges and uh, the Scrooges and shoppers aren't really believers, are they? The Santas of the world—they're different. They're spiritual, trusting that there's more to life uh, than this valley of deep shadow. Unlike the Scrooges and the shoppers, the Santas believe. People do view God a bit like Santa, that kind of distant guy over there, out the way, a bit irrelevant. Maybe he's just for kids. Maybe you pop the odd request to him from time to time. But no one really wants Santa in their lives. He's an inconvenience. He's a bit awkward. Imagine the scene in summer. You're all sat round, nice hot day, about to pop down to the beach. You come in, Santa. Oh, no. No, I couldn't get my beard wet. And I've only got this one stupid red suit. And I've got to feed the reindeer. Okay, Santa, same again. All right, we'll see you later then. He's just a bit awkward, isn't he? Who wants Santa around? Sure, he does a job once a year. Uh, But it could be a bit awkward to try and accommodate him. Have you ever wondered why he just kind of pops in, eats the mince pies, and shoots off again? He seems seems a bit awkward to me. There is a rumour going around that actually he's, he's a bit of a fraud, that he just kind of, uh, you know, uh, takes, takes, uh, takes other people's, the credit for other people's generosity, uh, that he's not generous at all. Santa himself lives in a very strange dimension. Uh, all light, no darkness, far removed from most people's experience and understanding of the world. A nice fault, but not much more than that. Maybe the hope is that we meet Santa's moral code and we get to go and join him and the elves in this amazing light, no darkness kind of reality, if it it could be called such a thing. All sounds a bit fuzzy and a bit wishy-washy to me. No real assurance or substance to it. Just a vague hope. Would Santa be any use when we come into trouble? when we come into hardship, when we come into darkness, what advice could he offer? What help could he give? Uh, No darkness here. Thanks, Santa. Seems to me Santa's actually quite hard to relate to. Not only that, um, but these moral standards we're expected to meet. What actually qualifies as being naughty or nice? He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Here comes the creepy bit. He sees you when you're sleeping. He 
He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good, for goodness sake. Ooh, weird. This actually shows Santa doesn't really give gifts at all. He gives rewards. Performance-related Christmas bonuses. That's what he gives. This isn't the overflow of Santa's generous heart. When I was a young lad, I'd heard a lot about Santa, a lot of wild rumours, but I wanted to see the man, the man behind the beard. So I thought, I'm going to set a little trap for Santa on Christmas Eve because I want to see him. So I got my Batmobile. Uh, it was a really good Batmobile, and it made this amazing noise as you pushed it along. And I sat it just behind the door, crept into bed, and put my head on the pillow for a nice night's rest on Christmas Eve. A bit excited for Christmas, but knowing I might have a little treat in the night. So, trap in place, head to the pillow. Sure enough, in the night, the door opened. I lay there with my eye half open. Ooh, wasn't expecting to see that. Must have been some kind of mix-up. My mum's coming through the door. Interesting. So I'm not quite sure what happened there. But maybe that's how some people feel about God, that actually one day they'll find out he's, he's not real. That actually, it's, it's all just been a bit of a hoax, just to, just to keep us in line. Christians don't believe in Santa in the sky. If that's who God is, make me an atheist. Who can be bothered with an invisible sponsor far, far away? Who can believe in screwing their eyes shut to the darkness and hoping against hope? Not me. Not Christians. When Christians talk about God, we're not talking about wish fulfillment. We're talking about a light we hope exists. Sorry, we're not talking about a light we hope exists beyond the darkness. We're talking about a light that showed up in the darkness. God made man. Born into history, there is historical evidence and weight to not just his life and death, but also his resurrection. On a personal level, I've experienced him, seen him answer prayer, heal people, provide for people, transform people. Santa does a bit of a hit and run each year. No real relationship, just drops the stuff and eats the mince pies and off he goes. Jesus offers to live with us year in, year out, in the dark times as well as the light. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given. Santa rewards from a distance. Here is a light that, who gives himself to us, relating God's own presence and peace to us. Here is a child who grows to be a man, a king who shoulders our burdens. According to the verse I just read, we can picture a gift tag around his ankle and it reads, from God to you. In Luke chapter 2, it says this, While they were there, the time came for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. And laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. God embraces the frail human form and enters history as a baby. God embraces our darkness. He's born into darkness. 
He's born in agony, in blood and pain and into darkness. Jesus lived the life that we couldn't have lived, can't live. He lived a life only ever doing what God the Father wanted him to do. He brought light to people. He healed people. He proclaimed good news to the poor. He valued people, all people. He took messes and made them whole. That's how Jesus lived. And then Jesus died a bloody, painful, agonizing death into darkness. On Easter Sunday, the first light of morning, the stone was rolled away and Jesus rose to new life. This is the fourth way that we can deal with darkness, the darkness in the world, and it's the way that God deals with it. You see, we could take the approach of Scrooge, live in the darkness, declare there is nothing but darkness. It costs too much to hope, hurts too much to hope. You've been let down too many times before. Let's not hope again. Let's live cynical. Let's be British. Let's have a stiff upper lip. Minimize the pain by just accepting it for what it is. Or you can embrace the shopper mentality. Forget about the future. Party. Presents. Shop. Have fun. Drink. Enjoy. Be merry. For tomorrow we die. But don't think about tomorrow. (laughs) Don't think about tomorrow. Today. It's this shopper approach to the darkness. It might be darkness now in X, but there's light now. Or, of course, there's the Santa approach. Eh, what darkness? La, 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 la. Let's just embrace the light. Ignore the pain. Turn the TV off. Don't buy newspapers. Don't talk to anyone who's experiencing difficulty. And, I don't know, self-medicate as much as you can. Just ignore, ignore, ignore. Or, of course, there's what God does in Jesus. He enters our darkness. He sees it for what it is. It hurts. It's hard. Jesus is not wish fulfillment. Jesus does not take away pain. Christians are not happier than non-Christians. Christians do not have an easier life than non-Christians. Being a follower of Jesus is not a a ticket to a happy and healthy and holy life. We're just like everyone else. Because God enters our darkness. He enters the world. He accepts the darkness for what it is. You see, the Bible's story is that we as a species have fallen from the original intention that God had for us. That the earth is fallen from the original intention that God had for it. And now pain and death and darkness, well that's, that's all around. But God offers this marvelous hope for the future. He says it's not always going to be dark. How do you know? Is this just some pie in the sky, easy believism? No, we know. Because Jesus entered human history. God bore the pain of darkness. See, love bears the cost of drawing near. And God, in his love for us, draws near to us. You go to airports at Christmas and you see dozens and dozens of people spending hundreds and hundreds of pounds to make the trip to be with their loved ones. They don't mind the cost because they want to be with the ones they love. That's what God did for us. He doesn't mind the cost. He embraced the cost of being born as a baby and dying a death on a Roman cross in our place for our sin. He doesn't mind that because love bears the cost to draw near. But I wonder which type of Christmas are you? Not just for Christmas, but which, which way of approaching life do you embrace the most? Darkness now, darkness later, 
Darkness later, so light now, ignore it. Or just darkness, what darkness? Ignore it. Only the Christian approach enables us to stare darkness in the face, to confront our own mortality, to confront pain for what it is, difficulty for what it is, because only the Christian approach promises a real hope, because God broke the bonds of death, defeated the power of Satan's sin and hell, and rose to new life on Easter Sunday. That's why we celebrate. That's why Christmas is good news, because it foreshadows and predicts Easter Sunday. Christianity hangs on that moment when God rose to new life and said, there is light at the end of all of this. Not just because it's nice to believe that, but because my son has defeated death and been raised to new life. So in Christ, there is genuine hope and genuine reason to delight and rejoice this Christmas. We have some books We'd love to give you this morning. There's on the table at the back there in the corridor. It's called The Four Kinds of Christmas. You can read some more about this. And there's a little fun quiz online as well about what kind of Christmas are you. I want to conclude this morning just by reading from Isaiah chapter 9 again and inviting the band up as I read through as we interact with what the stable means for us. This is what it says in Isaiah 9.6. For to us a child is born. Children are always good news, but this one especially so. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. That means he's in charge. Not David Cameron or the Conservatives or the Labour government, but Jesus. The government is on his shoulders. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Father, I thank you for this message at Christmas that you didn't overlook our pain and difficulty. You didn't minimize it. You didn't wish it away. You entered our loneliness and brokenness and have offered us a real hope, a real reason to rejoice. A reason bound up not in the fact that this government's got a really good idea or not bound up in the fact that they've just invented this new drug that can make it all go away, but bound up in the fact that you have dealt with our ultimate problem, the problem of sin, the problem of death, the problem of evil in this world. We thank you for that wonderful truth this Christmas. Amen.